Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's January 18th. 1644, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Writing about the strange events that occurred today in history in 1644, the governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, John Winthrop, lodged the following entry in his journal. About midnight, three men coming in a boat to Boston saw two lights arise out of the water near the north point of the town cove. In form like a man, and went a small distance to the town, and so to the south point, and there vanished away. This was actually the second time he had recorded peculiar happenings in the sky, the first being five years earlier, but both incidents taken together are regarded as the very first recorded UFO sightings in American history. A full 300 years before Roswell. Yeah. So, you know, you think that UFO sightings in the States are a 20th century phenomenon. Yeah, it's so fascinating to learn about the pre-space age encounters before there was any popular conception of flying saucers and little green men and all those other sci-fi tropes. They just didn't exist. People had to make sense of them within the context of their time. Yeah, I mean, comparing what you can see with things that you know from your own world is exactly what happened that first time that Arian referred to when Winthrop documented that he'd seen what he thought was a glowing flying pig. (laughs) (laughs) And UFO investigator Chris Pittman has written about this. It's difficult to imagine anybody seriously reporting a sighting of a glowing flying pig. Looking at the (laughs) sighting, one can't help but wonder if they were struggling to describe an oval-shaped fuselage and foreshort, what we might now call landing struts of landing gear, in a way that made sense in the 17th century. And I was thinking, yeah, that's right. But also, the oval-shaped fuselage might not make sense in 300 years' time. No. Yeah, Yeah. I love how he's basically saying, look at them trying to inform it with their own culture. No, the one that's informed by my culture is obviously what they were trying to describe. Yeah, yeah. yeah, They just haven't seen Spielberg. It's not their fault. Yeah, they're definitely (laughs) aiming for the thing we all know to be what UFOs actually look like. (laughs) Well, I think what makes the sighting that happened today in history particularly interesting is that there was an earlier one, as you mentioned, Arian, but that isn't necessarily an unexplained one. These men were in a boat going down the muddy river near Charlestown, Massachusetts, and they saw, as you mentioned, Ollie, a figure of a swine that ran as swift as an arrow and up and down about three hours. But modern scholars believe that what they saw is what's called ignis fatus, more commonly known as will-o'-the-wisp. And it's this specific phenomenon Mm. that can happen in marshy areas where you've got flammable gases being generated by decomposing matter and they kind of combust in the damp air and it manifests as this sort of flickering phosphorus light. Yeah, but one aspect of the story that these men reported that wasn't so easily explained by this will-o'-the-wisp later explanation was that where they would have expected their boat to move in a certain direction, it had not moved. That was regarded as particularly mysterious because the tide naturally would have pushed them to a different place. Yeah, Winthrop wrote that they had no memory, these men, of rowing against the tide or dropping anchor, and yet their boat returned to its original location, which is remarkably consistent, isn't it, with... Mm. Um, 20th century sightings where witnesses and alleged abductees 
often claim things like, oh, the clock on my car dashboard stopped. You know, it, this thing happened and then when it stopped happening, it was like it hadn't happened. Yes. That was being reported in some form in 1644. I mean, but fundamentally, you know, what we're talking about is a vision of a glowing pig. And I personally don't think that, you know, seeing a glowing pig in a swamp to me does not count as UFO sighting. And contemporary accounts suggest that it was at the time seen as being either a paranormal phenomenon or the hysterical delusion of a paranormal phenomenon. So it's more under the umbrella of like, if you think of like the witch scares that they had during this period as well, it was more seen as being something like that, maybe supernatural, maybe the devil. The sightings that began on this day in 1644, I think are far more under the umbrella of what we would recognise as a UFO sighting. Although they kind of start with saying that it's a little bit more like a ghost story. So these sightings occurred a few months after a fatal explosion on a ship in Boston Harbour, which killed five men. And the visions that were seen in the sky were widely interpreted by the townsfolk of Boston as being the spirits of the dead sailors. And there was a specific reason for that as well, which is that the boat was kind of a pirate ship. It was run by a Captain Chaddock, who was an adventurer, to put it nicely, slash pirate. Um, So it seemed very possible that the souls of his crew would be anything but at peace. And rumour had it that... All of the five bodies had been recovered but one, and the one belonged to a sailor who had boasted of being able to communicate with the dead. Basically, Boston in 1644 was a sleepover. You know, they were, everyone was saying, and I heard that he could speak to spirits. <laughs> and this sailor was also supposedly, people always overegg the pudding in the sleepover scary story, mm. he, this same sailor was the one who apparently snapped his pistol, setting off the spark that ignited the gunpowder and caused the fatal explosion. Well, except you have to remember that the people who are documenting this are missionaries who believe firmly in their religion. So if you've had an event like that, I mean, it seems ridiculous to then say, and the voices that we heard when we saw the weird things in the sky were ghost sailors being haunted by the devil, unless you're really religious. And then it kind of does make sense because it joins it all together, doesn't it? It was the hand of the devil that was taking possession of his body that made him like the gunpowder on board that killed everyone and therefore god has something to do or at least the devil the anti-god has something to do with this thing that we're seeing and therefore this paranormal thing and this ufo which they didn't know the word but you know this this unidentified object we see in the sky is at least conceivably part of the same world as this new state religion we're trying to establish. Yeah, I mean, all of these efforts to superimpose our contemporary understanding of what we think of as a UFO visitation do speak to the fact that what Winthrop and his like were trying to say had happened was really nothing. I don't think they had in mind that people from another planet or, spe- you know, alien species from another planet were coming down in their spacecraft and visiting us. They were just trying to, you know, probably tell stories based on the weird happenings that they observed or thought they observed. And we have subsequently decided that this is an early version of a thing that we recognise. But he also wasn't thinking about being published. And I do think that gives it some credence. Mm. You know, he was the governor of Massachusetts. He was a credible witness at this time. You may recall him from our episode Introducing the Fork, in which we discussed how he'd been the recipient of a fork in 1633 (laughs) and brought it back to America and caused a culinary controversy. You know, he had upper-class connections. He was the son of a lord. He'd attended Trinity College. He had legal training at Gray's Inn. He was being trusted to bring Christianity to the colonies. And he was writing these journals only to be published after his death. They weren't published until 1790, over 100 years after this. Mm. So he wasn't trying to generate headlines here. He was writing down the conversation he'd been hearing. Something definitely happened then. 
And before we jump ahead to modern UFO sightings, which, you know, as all enthusiasts know, began in June 1947 and were spotted by pilot Kenneth Arnold near Mount Rainier, Washington, as I just said completely off the top of my head, obviously. But before you had the modern flying saucer, you know, the craze, the Roswell era, if you like, there was actually a kind of an in-between UFO craze between this day in 1644 and the 1940s and 50s when we get our Little Green Men version. In 1878, when a Texas farmer called John Martin reported seeing a large circular object flying through the sky at, quote, wonderful speed. And a newspaper quoted Martin as saying that from his position on the ground, the object appeared about the size of a saucer. And that is one of the first, if not the first, UFOlogy uses of the term saucer. And then over the following months, there was a spate of sightings of what the papers called mystery airships you know once again using the context of the time after the initial craze died down this continued sporadically until the end of the 19th century and at one point there was even a rumor that thomas edison had created an artificial star that could circle the globe and that's what people were seeing and so once again like the you know the more popularly known space age ufo sightings this again seems rooted in a fear of technology it's funny too that the idea of alien abduction didn't take off till even a bit later still, you know, so first you had that wave of uh, people just seeing uh, these lights in the sky and then they started to be called flying saucers. But then the the business of people being taken by them is very largely traced back to the story of Betty and Barney Hill, who were, who said they were abducted in 1961. And it's really this sort of prototypical abduction story where they came into contact with the, the sorts of beings that are now referred to by ufologists as greys, you know, that sort of long, elongated... X-Files. X-Files yeah. looking alien. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, but it's after that 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 whole business takes off of people going, they're not just here to observe us, they're also taking us. And then I guess all of the probing and uh, internal body cavity searching that they seem to be so <laughs> interested in. But the bit that's just so frustrating, because I'd like to believe it. You know, I'm not just like mm. instantly cynical. I do believe there is life on other planets. So I'd like to believe that there is life that's intelligent enough that it's made contact with us and we should take seriously people who have seen it. But if it's that intelligent and it's reached us from a planet that we now understand is outside our own solar system, it's got here on something better than a 1950s airship, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, and it understands how to communicate better than talking through some random Americans. Like, it would just it would tell us... It would beam it into all our brains instantly so that we know what they are and where they're coming from. I, mean, I can't wait for the look of disappointment on your face, Holly, when that ultra-modern spaceship lands and the door hatch <laughs> flings open and a bunch of glowing pigs just come <laughs> Tomorrow. So their research really was in motion. They were do- researching in a whole lot of different directions. <laughs> Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 